You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 4. Sorry, we're not going back. <laughs> sorry, see, see, you got me all off. I was thinking of two fellas. And... Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, we've been in this series, this is our eighth week of this series. His Word, His power, His church sends us on our mission. His Word, His power, His church sends us on our mission. Let me give you real quick a timeline. Jesus has, um, he, he has walked this earth, He has been crucified, He has been He has been nailed to the cross, crucified. He has been killed. He has been buried. He has risen. He has made himself uh, available. He has made himself known. He has walked among people, hundreds of people, for the last 40 days. He has ascended into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. Here's the timeline. That's Acts chapter 1. We see the ascension of Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus giving them the mission. You will be my witnesses. You will literally, you will be my testifiers. All that you have learned about me, you will testify about me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, all over the world. You see that? And then in in Acts chapter 2, we see the birth of the church. We see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter chapter 3, we see uh, the church going on mission. Peter and John leave that that comfortable, uh, they leave that comfortable bubble of about 3,100 Christians and they they go outside of that. They, They begin to go to their Jerusalem, literally going to Jerusalem. We see the church birth, we see the mission started, the the primary mission of the church, therefore go and make disciples. We see all of that happening, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. Today in Acts chapter 4, here's what we see. We see the beginning of the persecution of the church, to which Jesus told them this was going to happen. We see this the beginning of the persecution of the church. So so we have His Word, we have His power, we have His church who sends us out on our mission. Listen, as a church, we have settled God's Word is God's Word. From Genesis to Revelation, it is the breath of God. It is the, the literal Word of God, true without any error. We have settled that. His power, we have settled the fact that the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all Christians. The moment you accept Jesus Christ, you receive 100% of the Holy Spirit of God. It's actually better for, for, for the Holy Spirit to live inside of you than for Jesus to be beside you. So we've settled that part. We've settled the, the, the issue of the church, that, that, that the church, God has used the church to send out missionaries, of which we are all missionaries. I often say at the end of the service, I probably should say it more, that as you walk out those doors, you walk into your mission field. Every single one of us. We walk out this church, we walk into our mission field. But what happens? What, what keeps us from recognizing it is our mission field. What keeps us from recognizing that the world that we live in, where God has us planted, is persecution. We simply don't like being persecuted. No one does. It's not, it's not fun. But Jesus has promised, and we're going to look at that here in just a moment. And we see the beginnings of this in Acts chapter 
4. Let me read the first few verses, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to, we're going to look at almost all of Acts chapter 4 uh, this morning, all the way down through verse 31. But let's look at the first few chapters. While they were speaking, this is Peter and John, while, while they were speaking, remember they have, uh, they have gone in Jerusalem and they have, uh, through God, God's power through them, they have healed the man who had been crippled all of his life. And while they were speaking to the people, the priests, try to picture this in your mind, the priests, the captain of the temple police, And the Sadducees confronted them, Peter and John, because they were annoyed. Here's why they confronted them. Because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and a number of the men came to about 5,000. So so about 2,000 people came to faith that day as Peter and John leave the comfort of that Christian bubble. They go into Jerusalem. About 2,000 people come to faith that day, but yet they are arrested. They are put in jail. They don't have time to really convene all of the court. So they leave them there overnight. God, would you help us understand this story that you have given us? Will you help us to understand the the history of the church, the beginning of the persecution of Christians? God, I pray that you would use this message to shape and to mold us to be who you have called us to be. Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. Man, I want you to see this picture. I want you to, um, uh, to do your best to try to place yourself in, in that. There's, there's maybe uh, 70 people in here this morning, 80 people possibly. Um, the, the, the full court that they are going to stand in front of is, a, is 71 plus, uh, give or take, a few. And, and Peter and John, they have been preaching, boldly preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the only way to God the Father. And, and they arrest them for that they're annoyed at that fact that they are preaching that Jesus Christ is the only way to God the Father. And they are annoyed by that, so they arrest them and they place them. I want you to imagine, would anybody be willing to set, if we was to grab everybody and put them in this center section, raise them up so they're all just staring, all, every single one of you staring at, 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 at would, would you come down and, and just kneel right here? And let the people just question after question after question you. What would that feel like? The heat is on, right? That, that's, that is tense. The, the weight of that on Peter and John and Peter and John is heavy. They're more than likely, they're, they're more than likely have been shackled. They've been thrown to their knees, and they are standing, or they are on their knees, looking up at a crowd of people who want nothing more than their death. That's what they want, because they are preaching that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. that's, That's the setting of where we're at this morning. Church has been birthed. The Christians go outside of their comfortable Christian bubble and persecution begins. Let's look at the question. 
before this large host of leaders. Look, look at verse 5. Verse 5 says this, The next day their rulers, their elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. That's 70 plus people, possibly 80 people who, who are all looking down on John and Peter and want them to be quiet and preferably want them just killed. Here's their question. Verse 7, after they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. By what power or in what name have you done this? By what power and in what name have you done this? Have you healed this man? Have you been, what power do you have to preach that there is resurrection, that, that Jesus Christ was resurrected? By what power do you have and what name are you teaching this? Here are simple fishermen standing in front of the highest court of the land. Think about it. this is this is first century supreme court not just 10 there's 70 plus all of them asking prodding question about what power and what name have you done this listen i i don't know what i don't know what would have been an acceptable answer to this first century supreme court to their question. But I do know what Peter and John was about to say wasn't what they wanted to hear. Look at it, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, literally it's, this is a past tense event because of Acts chapter 2. This wasn't another filling. This wasn't a, a second or a third filling. This was, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people of el and elders, if we're being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead by him. That's not the answer they wanted to hear. That's not the answer that would have scored them some points. Exact opposite. group of Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. They did not believe that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And here's this, this, this group called the Sanhedrin, the, uh, the official court of the day. Most all of them, Sadducees, looking down on these two. And look at the boldness. Peter and John are empowered by the Holy Spirit to answer their question, but not just answer their question, but to boldly proclaim the gospel. It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead. It's by Him. This man is standing here before you healthy. He goes on to say, verse 11, this Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders which has become a cornerstone. Listen, if the first statement wasn't enough to get their blood to boil, this statement would have made it boil. 
the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Do you hear the boldness of Peter and John? Not only do they answer the question, but they also have the boldness to proclaim the gospel. This Jesus whom you crucified, this Jesus who is the cornerstone whom you crucified, He is the cornerstone of the building. You crucified Him, but listen, don't worry. You crucified Him, but God raised Him from the dead. Listen, you and I, we might not ever find ourselves standing before a court having to defend our faith. But some are. Right here in the United States. Let me ask you, does the name Kelvin Cochran ring a bell? Kelvin Cochran was a 30-year veteran. He was an Atlanta fire chief, 30-year veteran of the fire department of Atlanta. He had to step down because, because one, he wrote a book, and one chapter of his book talked about biblical marriage. This was a book for a men's Bible study, not anything they used within the fire department, just something that he had done for his church, and he had a men's Bible study. Because of that one chapter, the city made him step down. That case went all the way to the Supreme Court. Kelvin Cochran stood before the Supreme Court and had to defend his faith. Atlanta. What about Jack Phillips? Jack Phillips of Masterpiece Cake Shop in Denver, Colorado, has had to stand before the Supreme Court and defend his biblical belief on the sanctity of marriage because he would not bake a cake for a marriage that he didn't believe was biblical. He had to stand before the Supreme Court and defend his case. How about one more? Berenelli Stutzman, owner of Arlene's Flower in Richland, Richland, Washington, had to stand before the Supreme Court. The other two won their cases. She has not won their case, won her case. Stand before the Supreme Court. Listen, you and I, we might not ever have to stand. It's possible. But we might not ever have to stand before the highest court in the land, but every one of us will stand before our temptations and our tempters every single day. Every one of us will. No one is exempt from that. Some days more than others, the crowd of tempters is large and the temptations are loud. And I don't know about you, when they are large and when they are loud, oftentimes what's going on in the back of my mind is this videotape replay of how I failed last time the temptations came or the tempters, persecutors wanted to persecute me. Just this replay of how I failed over and over again. Listen, you and I, we need the boldness of the Holy Spirit the boldness that only the Holy Spirit can provide as, as we stand before the tempters, as we stand before the temptations every single day. Listen, we can have the same boldness that Peter and John had to stand before his persecutors that day. So we need the strength to walk away from the temptations. And with Christ, we can. But without Christ, same temptations come, same Tempters will come, lure us away. Moments of weakness will happen. And without Christ, 
you'll walk hand in hand with the tempter. Christians, listen, we need to be bold in front of our bullies. We need to be powerful in the face of our persecutors. We need strength in Satan's line of fire. How do we do it? How, how, do we, how, how are we bold? How are we powerful? How are we strengthened, right? I'm, I'm glad you asked. Here's how. We need to follow Peter and John's example. Write these two things down. We need to follow Peter and John's example by this. Their boldness was a testimony to the power of God. And their honest vulnerability was a testimony to the power of the church. Their boldness was a testimony to the power of God. And their honest vulnerability was a testimony to the power of the church. We're going to see this in the rest of our text this morning. Verse 13 through 31. Follow along with me. Here's here's this crowd of persecutors, 70 plus, burning holes into Peter and John just by the way that they're looking. They hate them. When they, Sanhedrin, that's the court, Supreme Court of the day, when they observed their boldness, the boldness of Peter and John, and realized, I love this, and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. They, they looked at Peter and John, and they're saying, they're, these guys are uneducated. They're untrained. And they recognize that they have been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, look at what it says. They had nothing to say in opposition. Two against 70. Let me change that. Three against 70. Peter, John, and God against 70. And that three will always win no matter how many you're against, right? They had nothing to say in opposition. Their minds were blown. They were silenced by the boldness of the apostles. And this is significant because Peter, if you remember just a few months before this, Peter is not inside this courtroom. He is in the courtyard just within earshot. He can can visually see this courtroom taking place. It's the same group of people, the Sanhedrin, the same ones. It's not Peter and John down there, but it's Jesus Christ. Peter is out in the courtyard doing what? I don't know the guy. I never met him. It's this same Peter who's just a few months later, (laughs) who has been with Jesus, who is empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he is bold. This phrase, uneducated and untrained, literally means untaught amateurs. They they see them, and their mind is blown. These untaught amateurs... They haven't been instructed in the official schools of the rabbis. They, we, didn't, we didn't train these guys. We've, we don't know anybody that trained these. these. These are uneducated, untrained men. But yet they know the Scriptures better than we know them. That's what's going on in their mind. Oh, listen, the apostles' weakness was a testimony to the power of God. 
Oftentimes, we take our weaknesses and we say, man, I can't, I can't be used by God. I can't go outside the church and be, and be a, a witness where God has planted me. Oh, yes, you can. Peter and John's weaknesses was used to show the power of God. Now, listen, please don't get confused. Our pet sin is not our weakness. Our pet sin needs to be repented of. But our weakness can be used as a testimony, just as, just as Peter and John's was. It's a testimony to the power of God. Look at the, look at the phrase in verse 13. They, this 70-plus leaders, were amazed, and they recognized that Peter and John had been with Jesus, and they had nothing to say in opposition. The mouth of the lion had been shut. That's what, as I was studying this, I just began to think of Daniel and the lion's den. The, the mouth of the lion has been shut. There's 70 lions just ready to pounce on Peter and John, ready to have them killed, but their mouth is shut. Because why? Because they recognize that they had been with Jesus. I don't know about you, but listen, I'd rather sit. I'd rather sit with somebody that's uneducated and untrained but has been with Jesus than to sit with someone who's only read about Jesus. I would rather sit with somebody that's uneducated and untrained that's been with Jesus than to sit with somebody that's educated and only, only read about Jesus. Their weakness was a testimony to the power of God. Listen, I'm not anti-education. I'm, I'm currently taking six hours of seminary course. I'm, I'm not anti that. I think education is great for us to grow in our knowledge of God. But listen, it does not take the place of sitting and being with Jesus. That's what they recognized. Before they even recognized, before they were even wowed at the, at the man who had been healed, they recognized their minds are blown. Here's two guys. We didn't train them. How do they know more about Scripture than us? Oh, they've been, with, they've been with Jesus. Listen, if time with God in prayer and time with God in His Word doesn't come first, then it rarely comes, at, comes last. Let me say that again. If time with God in prayer, in time with God, in His Word doesn't come first. It rarely comes at all. It rarely comes last. We, we get too busy. If it doesn't come first, it, it just it doesn't come. We get too busy. Our, our schedules are just, they're rolling too much. If you're going to be a bold witness... Being obedient to God's command of the Great Commission found in Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20 and Acts chapter 1, verse 8. If we're going to be a bold witness doing that, being obedient to that, then we must intentionally prioritize time with God. This isn't legalism. Hear me, this is not legalism. Prioritize time with God in prayer and reading His Word is the power to silence our persecutors. You see that? It's, it's not legalism. And I know oftentimes we say, man, it's, it's duty to spend time in God's Word. I hope it's not duty. I hope, I hope we're in awe of God's Word. 
I hope we're in awe of the fact that we have the ability that God has made it, made it possible for us to spend time with Him in prayer. The Creator of the world, the one who holds all of this into existence, has invited us to come into His presence. Oh, what a beautiful privilege that is. In doing so is the power to silence our persecutors. Oh, we're committed to God's Word. We're committed to the church. We're committed to the power of God. But how often we're just comfortable keeping our Christianity in the pew. We leave it there. We come back and we get it seven days later. We pick it up for an hour or so. We leave it. Look at, what's ha- look at what happens. Verse 15, they're, they're commanded not to speak in the name of Jesus. Oh, if you know, it's like sin. Satan never gives up, right? We overcome that temptation. Satan doesn't, Satan doesn't quit and go, oh man, he's, he, he, he's not going to bite on that. No, what Satan does is he repackages the temptation. Look at what happens. Satan doesn't quit. Look at verse 15. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin. This is, that, this is the court. This is the Supreme Court of the first century. The administrative body of the Jews. This large gathering. They conferred among themselves. It's like the jury is out. They send Peter and John off to the side. The jury is out. They, they, talk about them, they talk amongst themselves. Look at what they say. Verse 16. What should we do with these men? <clears throat> For an obvious sign has been done through them. Clear to everyone living in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But, verse 17, so that this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. Which you can probably hear all those religious, amen, 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 going across the crowd. Let's threaten them. Let's tell them not to ever say anything else about Jesus Christ again. Look at verse 18. So they called for them and they ordered them. They called them back in. The court is back in session. <clears throat> they ordered them, verse 18 not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. The odds are against them, right? Odds are against Peter and John. Remember, Peter watched as Jesus stood before this same court. What's going on in Peter's mind? I know for sure Satan's replaying in his mind. It's time he was sitting in the courtyard. Now I never know. But I believe Jesus' teaching wins the day. Jesus had taught Peter and John. Turn over real quick to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus has called the disciples. He gives them some, some instruction, and then He sends them out. And He tells them in verse 16, He's preparing them for persecution. To which Peter thought he had at that moment, but he didn't. Oh, but he gets it here in Acts chapter 4. I believe Peter recalls this, te- this, this teaching from Jesus. Here's Jesus speaking in verse 16. Look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Beware of them because they will hand you over to local courts and flog you in the, in the synagogues. What's happening? They have been handed over to the local courts. 
And as far as Peter is thinking, they're about to be flogged in this, in this synagogue. This is what, exactly what happened to Jesus. It's probably going to happen to them. Verse 18, you will even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. Exactly what's going on. But when they hand you over, but when it happens, not, not if, but when it happens. When they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to speak, for they will be given, to, for, for you will be given what to say at that hour. Verse 20, because it isn't you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father is speaking through you. You go on just a couple of verses later, and Jesus closes out this teaching in verse 28. Listen to what he says. Don't fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Don't fear those who can kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Oh, Peter and John are strengthened at that moment. They're recalling Jesus' teaching. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Look how they respond. Verses 19 and 20, they boldly respond They're unable to stay silent. Listen to what they say. Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. Those two words, those last two words, you decide, is so powerful. Whether it's right for us to speak, you decide. In other words, my eternity is not in your hands, persecutors. You, you can decide if you want to kill us, which I'm sure that's what they think is going to happen at this moment. You decide. Verse 20. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. You can decide, but we're not going to be quiet. Whether it's right or not, you can decide that, but we're not going to be quiet. You tell us to be quiet, we're not going to. We can't. The rest of our text shows us the power of the church family. Peter and John are empowered by the Holy Spirit. They boldly silence the persecutors. They boldly stand up before them. And watch the power of the church. Look at verse 21. After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. Listen, Peter and John, they don't have home field advantage, but they have a large traveling crowd. You know know what it means to have a large traveling crowd? Like like you're not playing, let's pretend football, you're not playing at home, but you have a lot of your home crowd that, that goes to the stadium and they're cheering you on behind you. That's what's happening. Peter and John, they they would have normally been flogged possibly even crucified, just like Jesus would have, but they found no way to punish them because there is a crowd of people who are giving glory to God over what had been done. And then watch what happens. They go back to their church family. Verse 23. Oh, this is so, this is so good. Please don't miss this. They go back to their, they've gone out on their mission field. They've been empowered by God. They've been sent out by the church. 
They've been persecuted, and now they come back to their church. After they were released, they went to their own people. That's the believers. That's the, what would have been called the God-fearers of the day, the Christians, what we would call Christians. They went back to church, and they reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Remember verse 18? So they had called them back in. They ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They're telling their church family, Look at what the response is of the church. Is it, is it wringing their hands in, in fear? Oh, what are we going to do? What, we can't speak. We can't leave. I mean, now we, we were 120. Now we're 3,000, 5,000. I mean, we, we just have to stay right here in this, in this comfortable bubble. We can't, we can't go outside the church because they will, they will kill us. Do we see them wringing their hands? No, what's not, what, not at all. Look at what they do. The church prays. The church Praise. This is what started this. This is the beginning of the church. They're in a prayer meeting when the Holy Spirit is poured out on them. They have faced persecution. They've had victory over persecution. They come back together and they pray. Look at how they do it. First, it's adoration. They pray. They are, they are adorning God. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. Is their prayer, oh God, what are we going to do? They're going to kill us. They're going to flog us. They're going to, they're going to minimize. They're going to wipe us out. No, no, no. It is adoration to God. God, this is who you are. You are a big God. And then notice the next part of their, their prayer. They recognize the prophecy in Scripture of what's taking place right in front of them. They said they pray Scripture back to God. God, you said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against His Messiah. That's exactly what's taking place. And they pray this back to God. Look at verse 27, they go on, they recognize the prophecy as persecution. It's being fulfilled right before their very eyes. Verse 27, for in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assemble together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. So they're pointing to Jesus' crucifixion, to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And then they make this bold request. Listen, what would your request be before God? If you've gone out to your mission field and you've severely been persecuted for your faith, what would your prayer request to God be? Listen to theirs. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants stay silent? No. Grant that your servants may speak. Grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. They're saying, will you give us the ability to speak with boldness? And while we're speaking with boldness, will you do healing? Not, not guard us and protect us and keep us in our bubble. No, God, you do the healing. You give us the ability to speak with boldness. And look at the result, verse 31. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. There it is. God answers their prayer. They began to speak the Word of God 
bold. Is there an example for us to follow in our text this morning? Yes. Some of your greatest persecution will happen in your Jerusalem. Remember Jesus told them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses in your Jerusalem. Right here, this is your neighborhood. This is your area. This is your your circle of influence. This is your job. This is your home. This is your family. This is your neighborhood, your community that you live in. Our greatest, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, our greatest source of persecution will come in our Jerusalem. This is what happened to Peter and John. Even so, even so, they boldly stood unashamedly, proclaiming there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Listen, they're saying this in opposition to people who just a few years ago they were following. People who just a few years ago they had high regard for. People who, who they would have loved to have got to know and, 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 and learned under. These are people that they just a few years ago highly respected. And now they are speaking words that just make their blood boil. Listen, Peter, Peter and John are great examples that we can follow. Number one, time with Jesus must be a priority. Time with Jesus must be a priority. Time with Him in word. Time with Him in prayer. Number two, they were so moved by Him that they couldn't stay silent. When God sent them out on mission, he, they couldn't stay silent. And then number three, Paul and John, no doubt, they were out being the church. You've probably heard this. You, you know, you, we, we need to go and be the church. Yes, we do need to go and, and be the church. No doubt about it. But they knew there is also a huge benefit in going to the church. We do not be the church. We cannot be the church absent from going to church and recognizing the benefit of being with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's a question I want us to just wrap up and close with. Are we a church family that is trustworthy enough that after our individual bodies have gone out into the mission field, are we a church that is trustworthy enough that after we have faced our temptations, gone through our trials throughout the week, we can come back to our quote-unquote unpeople knowing that they will lift us up in prayer. Are we that church? I want us to be that church. I think in some pockets we are that church, but that is an area that we need to grow in. That, that a mom of, of three or four children can come back to her, her Sunday school class and she can say, I stood before the Sanhedrin, <laughs> her three toddlers. Or I stood before my teenagers. And, and I faithfully, biblically parented them well. 
And they think I'm the most restrictive, uncool parent on the planet of this world. No other parent is as mean as me. Even though, even though I did that, you pray for me. Are we, are we that are we at that place as a church? We, we must grow there. What about, what about a dad that, that, that comes back to his, his, his small group, his Sunday school, or a, or a men's Bible study and says before the men, man, I, I struggled this week. I, had to, I, I, I was in a, a crowd of guys and, and some, some jokes began to get passed around and they were sexual in nature and I walked away from that crowd and now they think I am a Bible thumper because I, won't, I will no longer associate with that group of people. Even though did that. I don't know if I can do it again. I don't know if I'm strong enough again to do it this next week. Will you, will you pray for me? Or what about, what about a teenager who comes to his Sunday school class or the Wednesday night Bible study and says, man, I, I deleted some social media apps. I, I didn't pass along the nude or I didn't look at the, and, and now I'm a social outcast with all of my quote-unquote friends. I've lost some friends over it. But even though, even though I did, I don't know. There's an opportunity to do it again next week, I'm sure. And, and I, I want to be bold. I want to stand strong. Will you, will you pray for me? That's what we see in the text. Hey, I think Peter and John are, I think they're exhausted. They have been through a battle. They have stood before the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of their day. And they have had victory. They, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has given them boldness to, to face their persecutors. And they silence their persecutors. They go back. They recognize the benefit of the church. Oh, I pray that we could grow in that area. What a beautiful gift that God has given us in the church. Oh, yes, let's go. Let's go out into our mission field. Let's be the church Monday through Saturday. But let's also, as Peter and John did, let's see the benefit of a local body of believers and come together and lift one another up in prayer. As God does what? Sends us back out to our mission field. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.